And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com video lock your front door, your sanity. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, as well as the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other great podcasts like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Now, Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy, and more importantly, make it work. If you like any of these topics, you definitely want to go check out the show, How to Write and Deliver a Captivating Speech, How to Market Yourself into a New Job, How Design Can Help and Also Hurt Your Revenue, Creating a Social Media Ad Strategy That Actually Works. If these topics resonate with you, go check out Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Brian Scudamore. He is the founder and CEO of O2E Brands, the parent company of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Wow One Day Painting, and Shack Shine. Each brand has franchise locations in every major metro city in North America and Australia. Brian is the author of the books WTF, or Willing to Fail, How Failure Can Be Your Key to Success, as well as the author of BYOB, Build Your Own Business, Be Your Own Boss. He's a regular contributor to Forbes. He writes about small business ownership, franchising, and building corporate structures. Companies have appeared on major media outlets, including ABC Nightline, Good Morning America, Dr. Phil, CNN, The Today Show, Oprah, and CNBC. This story has been featured in Fortune Magazine, The New York Times, Huffington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. We spoke about all things entrepreneurship, franchisee, business, growth, a couple uh, key topics that we went into, uh, how to fail as an entrepreneur and why you should. We spoke about vision, peoples, and systems. We spoke about the playbook to building a franchise model and how it can benefit you as an entrepreneur. Uh, we spoke about growth strategies that he's deployed when his company was going from zero to a million, a million to a hundred million, and then a hundred million to a billion. We spoke about hiring the right people. And then we spoke about the importance of, as an entrepreneur founder, 
visionary versus implementer, how you always have to have somebody to complement your yin to your yang. So when you build out a company, understand your uh, areas of opportunity, understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses, and hire out uh, your executive team as well as your as well as your employees to balance out what you're not great at. And that self-awareness is such a huge opportunity and requirement to be a successful entrepreneur. So let's jump right into it. This is Brian Scudamore. He is the founder and CEO of O2E Brands. Yeah, it was probably a bit of a happy accident. But if I look back at my life in the early years, I lived in San Francisco. I'm in Vancouver uh, today. I'm a Canadian, but I was born and raised for the early years in San Francisco. And I used to work at my grandparents' army surplus store. They had this little mom and pop shop in a dodgy area of San Francisco. And I remember selling stuff, working the cash register, meeting clients, meeting other employees. And I just had fun. To me, business felt like a game, and still to this day, even though we've got a $600 million business, it still feels like that same game. And that had to have been one of the catalysts. And and it just it started me down a path of, I am going to start my own business one day. And everything led me that direction, whether it was dropping out of school, being a disruptor in a bad way in, in high school and elementary school. I just learned from doing and from building stuff and trying different experiments with little businesses. I had a car wash as a kid, and I used to sit there and set up these car washes on weekends and hire friends in the neighborhood, and they'd be out there marketing on the busy streets, and we'd pull in cars and wash them and make a ton of money and just have a blast doing it. So what was the, so you, you were always, a, you were always somewhat of an entrepreneur. So what, walk me through, um, walk me through some of the first things that you did that were successful, that weren't successful, why they didn't pan out, um, lessons that you learned that ultimately, um, allowed you to build a $600 million company. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot there. We could talk the whole episode answering some of those good. questions. Uh, so if I think about some of the big lessons that led me to where we are today, when I was, maybe I'll go back to just the very beginning with my 1-800-GOT-JUNK founder story and moment. I was in a McDonald's drive-thru of all places. Yeah. And I'm in a McDonald's drive-thru. I see this pickup truck with plywood sides. It said Mark's hauling on the side. And I looked at that truck and I was trying to find a way to pay for college. And I saw the truck and went, you know what? There's my ticket. I had $1,000 in the bank, spent 700 on a beat up old Ford of my own and put plywood sides on the box. And off I went driving down alleys, laneways, and had a business. It was called the Rubbish Boys back then. And I had a vision for something bigger. So even though it was just me, it was the Rubbish Boys. And we said we would stash your trash in a flash. And it was essentially just to pay for college. But it turned into me learning more about business, running a business, than I was learning, studying in school. And being the ADD type I am, I dropped out of school, put all my eggs in one basket, started running this junk removal company full-time, rebranded it eventually as 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and was ready to take on the world. Now, it was a slow and steady race. The first eight years is what it took me to get to a million in revenue. And I look at today and I go, we do a million in revenue some mornings. And so the momentum has really built up, but it, it took a long time to get there. And it was just success, failure, success, failure. And just over and over learning, 
but being so excited and invigorated by what I was learning on the streets, so to speak, versus what I was learning in school. And and that's that that like one eight hundred got junk. When you were building that out, it took eight years to get to one million in revenue. That's that's a tough grind because there's probably a lot of jobs that could have paid uh, more than a million dollars in eight years if you if sure. you just started working. So when of you course. build this out, how did you stay motivated through all of this? What was the thing that kept you pushing forward? What was the thing that got you to think, you know, what if I stick this out long enough, I'm going to get to where I want to be? Yeah, I don't know if I was smart enough to think that way and go, if I stick this out long enough. I think I just found a spot that I was enjoying myself. Yes, it was a grind. Yes, it was long hours. But I still felt like I was playing that game I mentioned full speed. And it was just this fast paced, always on trying to figure things out. One of the things we learned in the early days was marketing the business through free press. And my remember my girlfriend at the time said to me, you got to call up the press and tell them what you're doing. And I'm like, who cares about some junk man who started with 700 bucks? And she was right. She was smart. The press did care. We ended up on the front page of the local newspaper. Millions of people read about us that morning. And so I think what kept me going was just this constant challenge of learning new things. How to hire people, how to fire people, how to get free press, how to grow a fleet. In the early days, uh, five years into the business, a point where I wanted to quit and walk away was I had 11 employees, half a million in revenue at the time, and they say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I probably had nine of my 11 were bad apples, and I just had to say, you know, I'm I'm done. And I was done with that group, and I said, I'm sorry, I've let you down. I haven't given you the love and support you needed to be successful, and I don't know if I can make this work. And I started again and I committed to finding just as this hat I'm wearing today, it's all about people. I committed to finding the right people and treating them right. I knew that as a leader, I didn't pick the right positive, optimistic people for my business. And off I went and found great people. And I think back to, you know, a long answer to your question, what made the difference and got me to stick with it was once I figured out how to find the right people, how to hire happy people. It just made it so awesome. Every day was enjoyable, and I knew we could grow something together. Okay, so we have to go into people in a second. We're going to go into people. Um, There's a a couple things. We're going to go into failure. We're going to go into people. But um, the lessons that you learned, because 1-800-GOT-JUNK was like the thing that put your name on the map, and then you built uh, O2E, and then you built all the other brands after that. Mm -hmm. What was the lever that you pulled when you were monetizing and growing 1-800-GOT-JUNK that brought you from the 500K ARR year five to a million and then some? What was Mm -hmm. that thing? And it's a service-based business. Mm -hmm. So you're growing through traditional marketing strategies, but what's Mm -hmm. the one thing that you found had the biggest impact when you're trying to grow this out? Because obviously something hit. Was it the people? Maybe it was the people. I don't know. What's that thing? Yeah, we were so small that it's hard to go back and go, what was the one big thing? I think part Mm -hmm. of it was me just staying focused and nose to the grindstone and sticking with it. Uh, I mean, as you said, I could have made a lot more money doing something else in those eight years, but this was a long game for me. I don't know if, again, I knew it at the time, Mm -hmm. but I got out there and it was that grassroots guerrilla marketing. It was doing things without spending a lot of money on marketing, trying to stand out with uh, a shoestring. And so in the early days, we got on the Oprah Winfrey show. We were, I think, $3 million in revenue at the time when we got on the Oprah show. 
And that was just us reaching out and pitching Oprah over and over and over and being tenacious. And then we land in front of 35 million live viewers on television. It was huge. And we continue to have those types of wins, whether it's the Ellen DeGeneres show uh, a few months ago. We get this magic happening because we envision it and then we work together as a team to make it happen. So what was the one thing? I think it was probably people, but it was big though. You went big with some of these PR efforts. Like that's that's yeah. huge, man. That's but huge. we but we don't and we don't stop. We continue yeah. to try and do big things because as you can you might be able to see it looks cut off a little bit. There's a sign behind me. It's kind of fun to do the impossible by Walt Disney. And sometimes you put something out there like, let's get on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I'm gonna get interviewed about something. We didn't even know what it would be. And uh we talked our way onto the show. And I'm sitting there getting interviewed in front of millions, talking about possibility thinking and can you imagine what we can build and and how to inspire big possibilities in others. So we love challenging that status quo. Um, and and even that one particular story with Oprah, I was watching some podcasts before we jumped on, and and it was about getting out of your own way. So let's let's do some like leadership lessons, some things yeah. that you know you said. When I was in it, it wasn't so clear, but hindsight is more or less 2020. So what are some leadership lessons? That particular one I thought was a great story. So getting out of your own way as a leader, why is that an issue with people? How did you solve for it? Oh, it, it's it's the biggest thing, Scott. It's entrepreneurs get in their own way all the time. And we are our own limiter in, in terms of the ceiling of growth I think we can experience. Because an entrepreneur has a great idea and they have this predetermined way that they see the world, but we can't build things alone. I don't imagine you're building what you're doing by yourself. You're out there raising money, you're raising awareness, you're trying to build something with the help of others. That's what entrepreneurs need to do is get out of their own way. There's that quote, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Most entrepreneurs I've met over the years believe that they are the smartest person in the room. I've worked hard to be the the least smart person in the room so that I'm always surrounded by someone who can contribute bigger, better ideas. Our president, Eric Church, who runs O2E Brands, Ordinary to Exceptional, he's been with us for almost 11 years. And the guy's a rock star and he can do things that I couldn't possibly ever do. And so I had to get out of my own way to empower Eric to grow the business. Now, proof that he was the right person and that he's done it the right way, and I couldn't do it. I got the company to about $100 million in revenue. Once I got out of the way of the day-to-day operations, Eric took it to 400 to 500 to 600 He'll get us to a billion. I couldn't grow our other brands, Wow One Day Painting, where we paint people's homes in a day, and Shack Shine, where we shine people's uh, homes, their windows, their gutters, power washing, the whole bit, Christmas lights, Those brands are growing like crazy through our franchise model, finding great people and helping them build on a playbook. We couldn't do that and grow those brands if I was in the day-to-day at the same level that I was with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We had to find other leaders. I'm not scalable. Uh, No one is. And so it's a a big lesson. I'm I'm glad you highlighted that one because we we get in each other's way all the time. Not, Not you and I, but ourselves. 
some I'm sure I'm sure we work together. I'd probably get in your way too, but we gotta work we, we gotta work through that. event. everybody has this issue. It's not it's not it's not just one entrepreneur. It's not it's not a an individual case. Everybody gets in their own way. And I think that the most successful entrepreneurs and like I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. 
available nationally. Look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real, there are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay thank you so much indeed for sponsoring success story for all business leaders out there indeed is a lifesaver see we're always driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work, and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Now I see it's like it's your it's your hat. My goodness. It's like it's your it's your brand. It's people. Yeah. It's how do you find the right people? And you've done that a few ways. You've done that in your own organizations. You probably got a, a really harsh dose of that when you had to get rid of nine of 11 people at 500K. That's not an easy thing to do. And then now you're hypersensitive to how do I find the right people? But then it's also in your franchise model, where again, you're finding the right people. So let's let's break down both. Let's talk about finding the right people in an org. Let's talk about how you found uh, uh, somebody to scale it from 100 million to four, five, 600 million. What is the right person? And how does an entrepreneur look for that so they don't end up in the spot where they have to let go of like 80% of their team? And then let's yeah. also talk about the franchise model because there's also a right person concept that you're that you're trying to solve for when you look for a franchise there's a reason why you're doing franchises versus just scaling out operations internally so none so let's do internal yeah. first yeah finding the right people and treating them right how do you find the right people I, my answer on that is my opinion is find the right person for you so in my new book BYOB build your own business be your own boss I talk about uh, a woman Lonnie Skinner 
who was president of Starbucks of the U.S. operations. When I brought her in to run my tiny little company, here's someone who had 30,000 people in her employ. Amazing woman, super sharp, incredible smarts. She wasn't the right leader for me. And why she wasn't the right leader for me is she, I don't think she had a lot of experience working with entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so after 14 months of trying to work together, we did some great things, but essentially the business almost went bankrupt uh, because both of us weren't working together in the same way that we needed to. I needed to find the right leader for me. Now, she's gone on to be wildly successful, bigger than she would have been probably with us in something else. Um, but what I, I realized was the right leader for me had to complement my strengths and my weaknesses. It had to be a yin and a yang. And I got out there and I looked for Eric. And what I wrote was a, a almost a little mini painted picture, a vision of the ideal person I was looking for. And I got it out to my networks. And three people unrelated in different parts of the planet wrote me back and said, you're looking for Eric Church. They didn't wow. say, here's five people you should consider, or I might know someone. They said, this is the person, because I was so clear on who I described. And the reason why Eric was the right person for me in the end, because uh, we're all different as entrepreneurs, was he just understood the quirks uh, and the, the sort of intricacies of entrepreneurs. He didn't realize this until he and I were chatting, but all he's ever worked with was the, the, the right hand to an entrepreneur. And he understood how to manage them and what was different and unique and all their shiny objects and squirrels running all over the place. And he's been an amazing friend, mentor, and uh, professional to grow the business. So it was finding the right person for me, and it was learning from my failure of how I got what I thought was the right person. I mean, ex-Starbucks president? Man, I hit the jackpot. No, I didn't hit the jackpot for me. Wrong person for my business. I've heard this a lot, actually, and this is actually something that I've I've taken into my own company. It's it's I've always shied away from hiring MBAs or execs from you know like Fortune mm -hmm. 500 because it's difficult to operate in a startup environment. If you mm -hmm. could even distill some of Eric's personality traits or management style, so at least somebody has a framework to mm -hmm. for what to look for because maybe they don't know what to look mm -hmm. for today. What would that right hand be? Well, you know, I'm going to answer that with a book. Uh, there's a book called Rocket Fuel and Gino Wickham and I, 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 the other name is escaping me, but Rocket Fuel. We, Eric and I read this book or I, I did what an entrepreneur like I do is I skim. Eric mm -hmm. read it and we compared notes and we both said, wow, this is us. This is, I'm the visionary, he's the implementer. And the book gives a framework as to which one are you? Most entrepreneurs are visionaries. And how do you find the implementer, someone to execute on your vision, your plans? And so the personality of Eric is rigorous, disciplined, follow through, accountability, things that don't often describe entrepreneurs. I get to be the idea guy. Now, Eric brings amazing ideas as well, but we just, we, we know our unique strengths and uh, opportunities of how we work together. But his personality of just that rigor and discipline and precision, he's, he's unbelievable. And so I think an entrepreneur needs someone to balance them out. So again, where we're as entrepreneurs often very ADD and shiny objects, how do you find your balance of someone that can stay focused for long, long periods of time and ensure that you execute on what you see?
Very smart. And then let's let's pivot from the hiring the best possible people internally to also because I also just want to point out that the type of personality that you hired for in Eric, of course, that was at an executive level. But yeah. the people, the balance, the yin and the yang and the understanding, the entrepreneurial and startup environment that permeates every position in the org. If you hired somebody even that wasn't an executive, that just had an exceptional amount of years of experience. I find that, and, and free, be, feel free to comment or whatnot, but I find that that can be detrimental just because their process is so ingrained and entrenched mm -hmm. that they can't see any way of doing it outside of the way they did it at, a, at an F100 or Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. So I think that that personality, the, the startup mindset and the ability to understand your strengths, your weaknesses, and your existing team strengths and weaknesses, even if it's a five-person team, you still mm -hmm. got to be cognizant of that. And like the too big person the person i think that another example is like mark robert's from hubspot he hired like a, a a account executive from a huge software company and it was just like a mess it was an absolute mess right because mm. they only operated in that environment but mm. um okay let's, I, I think let's, you know scott what comes to mind is a, is a it's the stage of your business so i had yeah. cameron harold who was our coo from 2 million to 106 million and great friends still to this day we were fire ready aim types, both of us. So instead of being planful and disciplined like Eric, we were like, let's just go absolute mavericks. <laughs> but Cameron was the right person for that right stage. Eric is the right person for where we are now and a, a ton of runway. So I think it's how do we find the right person for us and the right person for the stage of growth that we're at? Um, it's not easy, but it, I think it's something to keep top of mind. Let's talk about franchising. Let's talk about franchising as a model because I've never spoken to anybody on this show that has franchised anything, actually. It's probably a detriment to the show, but it's a huge <laughs> opportunity for entrepreneurs and for business owners. So yeah. why did you decide to do this? You didn't scale 1-800-GOT-JUNK through a franchise model, correct? It was just a pure, or did you? No, no, I, I did. I, I, okay. So I grew the Rubbish Boys, which became 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Yeah for eight years to a million. And then I started to look at franchising. It took me 10 years to get to the point where I had something that I could franchise. And for me, franchising was how do you like McDonald's, how do you have these cookie cutter type systems and processes that others can follow? It's a playbook. And I chose it because I'd always been in love with what Ray Kroc, the, the one who popularized the McDonald's brand, how he built a business where people had skin in the game. This was their business. He just gave them a playbook and a recipe and then the coaching and support to really grow. And we did that with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Once we franchised the business, we went from uh, $2 million to $100 million in six years. And it was just hyper growth for us. And we've done the same thing with Shack Shine and Wow One Day Painting. We've done it a lot faster because now we have the proven recipe for how to franchise an organization. But I chose it because I wanted people to be owners. I wanted them to think and act like owners. I wanted them to be owners. And I wanted us to build something we were really proud of together. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, they don't call it the sales destination. It's a sales journey. And on that journey, you want the best tools and support to keep you and your customers connected every step of the way. 
HubSpot is an all-in-one CRM platform that is impossible to outgrow and ridiculously easy to use, meaning you never have to worry about it slowing you down. That's because HubSpot is purpose-built for real salespeople with real customers and real problems to solve. With customizable hubs and tools that you can add and subtract as you grow and an interface that's just as easy to use if you're a team of one or 1,000, HubSpot is built for you and your customers to grow together wherever the journey takes you. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. And it's interesting because every CEO will always say, oh, I want the employees to feel empowered and to feel like owners, but it doesn't really ever happen, candidly, unless they have equity or they're on the cap table or they have a little bit of the company because it's hard for anybody to be as passionate about the company as a CEO or the founder or the owner is. So mm. the franchise model solves for this, but how do you do the franchise model correctly? What's the, what's the thing that allows you to maintain the quality of the organization amongst all these smaller uh, owners. Yeah, back, back to the hat again, it's all about people. So as franchise owners, it really is finding the right people and making sure that they are empowered to uh, grow a great business with us. We use the word franchise partners. Um, one of the earliest things I did was change the word from franchisee to franchise partner because I, I felt we depend on their success, they depend on us, and this is a partnership. So we would often over the years get a franchise owner who says, we're your customer. And I'd say, no, we're each other's partners. If you don't succeed, if I don't succeed, we have to work together to make magic happen. Franchising is interesting because it's not for everybody. I would never have become a franchise owner, or I don't think I would have. But you take Paul Guy, who's our first franchise partner, who started in Toronto. He, he actually worked for our operation in Vancouver, drove a truck across the country to Toronto and started the first franchise. It took me eight years to get to a million in revenue, which is slow. It took him one year to get to a million in revenue because he had a proven recipe. And today he's got a hundred million in revenue across his franchises. Now, what I found interesting about franchising is very similar to sports. Um, I've had conversations recently with Shaquille O'Neal who spoke at our uh, conference and he and I have kept in touch. And here's a guy who doesn't need to build the race car. He just wants to drive the race car, right? Mm. You look at him with sports. Um, he's the franchise king. He's got about a half a billion in wealth through franchises that he owns. And I asked him, why did he get into franchising? He said, it's just like, it's just like sports. He goes, I know how to build a winning team. I know how to lead someone to a championship. I find the right people. I plug them into a brand and off they grow. I don't need to invent the systems and the brand, but I know how to grow it with the right people. And that's where franchising, back to Paul Guy, our first franchise owner, he understood that his leverage was use a playbook that's already in place and crank it up quicker than I ever did. And when you, when you deploy a franchise, what are the things that you want to teach over to the owner versus what, what part do you want to let them run with on their own? Is there any benefit to any portions of the business, them having creativity in the execution or the deployment? Yeah, so we say to our franchise owners, take the first year just to follow the recipe. If you have better ways to do things that you discover, make notes of those. And after the first year, let's talk. Our best ideas absolutely come from the system. Think McDonald's, uh, mm -hmm. the Big Mac, the R Ronald McDonald. You know, these things came out of franchise partners' heads. We know that our best and brightest ideas come from our franchise ownership. And so we tap into those. 
and it, everyone benefits when there's a winning idea, but we don't want them in the beginning. Uh, we want people to follow the recipe and and understand some of its faults. Our systems are never perfect because things are dynamic and they change, but it's taking the best practices, understanding them, and then layering on top. So if you think of a pilot, a very mm -hmm. checklist-oriented job where you just don't want to risk anything. You don't want someone being innovative in, hey, maybe <laughs> we do this differently and actually testing it on the fly. You want someone to have the patience and discipline to go, here's something we should consider. Let's talk about this, but let's not just try it right out of the get-go. Um, now, one other theme that you speak about quite often, and, and I actually would I would ask like if, if there's more to franchising than we can go into it, but I think that obviously what's top of mind for you, or it seems to be at least, is that you you have sort of summarized all your entrepreneurial experience in, in your latest book in, in BYOB and Build Your Own Business. And now you're teaching over some of like the core steps for every entrepreneur, franchise or not, just the things mm -hmm. that they should think about when they're trying to start from scratch. So we can do one of two things. We can do, we can do a, a bit more on franchising, or if you feel like that's like a concept you've spoken about a lot, we can speak about some of the things that you're really passionate about that you wrote about in the BYOB, like build your own business, and why you think that these are things that entrepreneurs have to pay attention to. So we could do like a intro to entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship 101 for the next couple of minutes too. It's up to you, whatever hey, you want. Hey, you know what? It's up to you. It's your show. Uh, the, no, the dude. Beauty of like, having, yeah, okay. No, I. you know yeah. what? Let's, let's talk about the, you know, BYOB, build your own business, be your own boss. And why I called yeah. it two things was some people want to be the boss. They want to be in charge. They want to be the, the person leading the way. The other, some others, uh, it's building your own business. It's, it's wanting to build something and create and leaving a legacy. Um, but the three things I talk about in the book that I believe are key in any business, franchised or otherwise, is vision, people, and systems. Having a clear vision of where you're going to then rally the people who you've chosen are the right people to be on your sort of ship. And then of the systems and processes that keep everybody accountable to excellence, that hold people to the here's our best practice until we find another best practice to achieve amazing results. So let's go into, let's, let's unpack all three. Let's give a cursory look at all three. So vision. Sure. So how do you establish vision? Because people hear about vision. It's mm -hmm. on some companies' websites. Sometimes it's not really uh, adhered to or really understood by anybody outside of the copywriter for a mm -hmm. few landing pages when they first spun up a site. So how do you actually build a vision that matters, that permeates mm -hmm. the organization, that everybody can buy into and evangelize, and, and that's something that means something? Yeah, well, I'll start with the story, Scott, of how I discovered the power of vision. And I didn't know it at this very moment in time when I came up with this. But I was at my parents' summer cottage, a little shack on the water. And I was in a bit of a doom loop where my business was at a million dollars. But I thought, I don't know if I love what I'm doing. I don't know if I have the education, having dropped out of school. I don't know if I have the business idea that can be as big as something could possibly be. And so I said, okay, enough negativity. I pulled out a sheet of paper and I started to write what I could see in the future using my imagination and nothing but. And I said, we'll be in the top 30 metros in North America by the end of 2003, which was five years out. I said, we'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show. We'd be the FedEx of junk removal. And I envisioned what this could look like. I took the picture from my mind, put it into words, and then I started to share this with others. And I got, it invigorated me. It got me focused and excited on something I could see, but I shared it with people. And one of two things happened with the group that I shared it with in my company. 
half the people-ish said, Brian, you're smoking some hope dope. Like, you are not going to be on <laughs> Oprah. You are not going to be in 30 cities. Like, give it a break. The other group said, wow, I don't know how we're going to get there, but this is compelling and I want to be a part. So a practice we've put in place is having this painted picture, this one page, double-sided, a picture says a thousand words. Why not take those words and share them with everyone in your organization, everyone that touches your organization, potential employees, future employees, whatever it might be, and say, do you see what we see? And it's been powerful because Almost every vision that we've ever set for ourselves, as impossible as it might have seemed, it's all come to fruition because we know clearly where we're going. We don't know how to get there. We don't even try and think of how to get there. We just understand the destination and then rally as a team to make that win happen. And then that that dovetails into the second point, which is the people that bring this vision to life. So that's the thing that we have to find for. So you spoke to it a bit, but... You even mentioned a story uh, previously, and I alluded to it, but you didn't go into it, but there's probably other stories. It's when you wanted to get onto Oprah, and mm. you found this, I think, young person who just like kept going and figuring it out, had no idea how to do it. So tell that story, because it's an incredible story, but also, how did mm. you find that person? How do you find like 10 of those people? Mm. Yeah. So we hire an attitude, train on skill. So when we tried to get on Oprah... It was actually hiring our first PR hire. I had been the person that had always pitched the press. I didn't know how to scale that. So I said, let's find someone who's got the energy and enthusiasm that I do that can tell a great story over the phone, who doesn't mind smiling and dialing over and over and over. And so we found this guy, Tyler Wright, a lot of energy, great enthusiasm, but knew nothing about PR, had never pitched PR in his life. And so we found this guy and I said, okay, we have this can you imagine wall in our office with big goals and things we want to accomplish. And one of them is to be featured on the Oprah Winfrey show. And I remember he used to just look up at that can you imagine and he's like, I'm going to make that happen. It took him 14 months alongside of pitching other media outlets, of course, but he was relentless. He just kept calling up Harpo Studios, emailing, faxing the whole bit and just saying like, here's our story. And it was tenacity and what it's recognizing, this goes back to letting go of control. While I was good at pitching the press and telling a story or helping to find an angle, I couldn't do it day in and day out over and over and over, but Tyler could. And so the day Tyler got us through to Oprah's uh, producers and they said, we want you to come out to uh, LA, we've got a hoarder, we want you to clean it up, we want you on the show... I mean, Tyler jumped up out of his seat in an open office environment, just screaming. We're like, what is going on? Because he landed the mother of all media hits, Oprah Winfrey. And, and someone, I mean, how does that even happen when you've got somebody that has zero experience and this is their first job doing PR and they land that? Again, the value of hiring people based on what they believe, what they're excited about, and the attitudes they have much more than the skill. We were able to train him. And, and he in turn trained us because he found new ways of doing things, having not been constrained by, here's how you do PR. And then, okay, so now we have a great lesson on vision on people. What was the last thing in the book? There was three things. Systems. 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 The most important. So then you don't have to, you know, you can sort of remove yourself and, and create these processes. Okay, so... How do you create these systems? What's your strategy for creating things so that whatever you've done and you figured out doesn't break down? 
Yeah, so systems to me are, what is your one page? Shouldn't take more than a page. What's the best practice for anything you do? How do you list it out into a checklist or some sort of simplified process of, of here's a reference for someone else who is about to do what you do over and over and over that works incredibly well. It could be how to pitch the press. It could be step by step. Here's what you need to do um, so that you don't miss a step. So for example, one of the things I taught Tyler with the press was when someone from the press says, no, I'm sorry, that's not a good story or it's not something that we're interested in. And it would be a step on the checklist is you always have to ask that person, what's missing? What would make it a story? Because if you have the USA Today on the other line or CNBC or it doesn't matter, someone big and you're finding out what's missing, that journalist will tell you what's missing, which will then give you an idea that you can plug in when you're pitching the New York Times or when you're pitching someone else big and land it. And we did that over and over and over. So a system is how do you have predictable results by not missing a step? Again, back to the pilot example, you've got a pilot on a plane. You don't want them missing 0.17 on that checklist because that could be the end of that flight. You want someone making sure they've covered everything. A system is just a way to get your people on board with the best way to do something. Now, as we talked about with franchise owners, we want better systems, better ideas. We want innovation. So you have to be willing to challenge the status quo, but it is having a process and then knowing when you need to refine that process and make it better. Um, and then last question before we do a couple rapid fire to close this out, mm -hmm. what's one last entrepreneurial insight lesson you'd want to teach over that we haven't covered? Anything that's really impacted mm -hmm. you that you think if you're an entrepreneur starting out, this is something mm -hmm. you have to know. Yeah, hundred percent. So my first book was called WTF willing to fail. I didn't know the title of the book when I wrote it, but at the end, the title jumped out because I realized, man, I failed over and over and over, and that's made me who I am. The last piece of that, the commentary, the, the wisdom, whatever you want to call it, is be willing to fail. When you make a mistake as an entrepreneur, uh, I learned this from Ben Zander, who was the conductor of the Phil Boston Philharmonic Orchestra and has written some great books. When you fail, just go, oh, thank you. Wow, awesome. Have the right attitude because there's a gift in that failure if you're willing to unwrap it. There's a gift there somewhere that will say, okay. Someone, you know, people asked me, I did a podcast this morning and someone said, what would you change if one thing you could change in your life? I'm like, you kidding? Nothing. I needed to fail all those times. I wouldn't take any one of them away because I needed to learn that failure, that mistake, which allowed me to be better and bigger uh, later on, if I didn't fire those 11 people, would my company have grown? Of course not. I would have stalled out because I didn't figure out the recipe of how to find the right people. And that came from a failure. Amazing. Okay. Um, before I do rapid fire, what are the socials, websites? Where do people go connect with you? Go to Google, put in Brian Scudamore. <laughs> you'll, you'll find me. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> good, LinkedIn, good. wherever you want to go, whatever works for you. I'm not on All TikTok right. yet. Well, one day, one day we'll get, we'll get you dancing on TikTok That's or for doing my something favorite. on TikTok. <laughs> All right. Um, you've had incredible success, but what keeps you up at night right now? That's a great question. 
the what keeps me I, up at night, the the I mean, I, I sleep really well, I do, but it's that constant thought of how do we find more great people as franchise owners? How do we show people that franchising is a really awesome it's awesome enough for Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, how do we show people it's a it's a good path for someone that wants to start their own business and they might not have an idea. They might not have an idea that they can take to go, hey, here's the next Instagram. You don't have to necessarily have the idea. Sometimes the big idea is execution of someone else's methodology or playbook. So that keeps me up. How do we find those people? How do we educate them? How, what's the, the biggest challenge you've come, overcome in your own personal life? Uh, what did it teach you? Hmm, that's a great one. I think probably one of the biggest ones is my ability to focus. Um, you know, I, I mentioned my ADD. I mean, uh, the truth is I've never sat through a formal diagnosis of my ADHD because I don't have the patience, you know, and I'm not trying to be funny. It's, it's true. I am so ADD that I, I can't read books. Um, back in the days when you used to go to the movie store blockbuster and get a video, I would look at the pictures. That's how I chose movies. I could never read the back cause it was, it was too hard for me to stay focused on the words. Yes, I can write, but I have a hard time reading but I've learned to manage my, my focus. I think the lesson for me was just like failure being a gift, my inability or my, my challenge with focusing is also a gift. I think differently. I find some great ideas occasionally, but it takes a lot of mental energy to get through the weeds at times. And so just systems and processes to help me stay focused. I work in short sprints. I find ways to what are times of the day where I'm more effective than others? Where are places that I work more effectively and stay more focused than others? You know, I do some of my best work outdoors, walking the dog or skiing on the slopes, um, understanding that that's not, a, that's not something I'm doing just because I want to have fun. It's actually even just a better focus and better idea generation for me. If you had to pick one person, obviously there's been many, but pick one person who's had a major impact on your life. What did they teach you? Hmm. Oh, that's great. My grandparents. My grandparents who ran an army surplus store in San Francisco called Lorber Surplus. Everyone in the neighborhood, it was a dodgy area of San Francisco, and everyone on either side of them, all the shops, would get robbed constantly. It wasn't uncommon to see a shop owner run out and chase someone down the street who just robbed their cash register. My grandparents in their 20 years in that location got robbed twice. And the reason why they rarely, almost never got robbed was the word out on the street was you don't mess with the Lorbers. They're such wonderful people. They used to give, when someone would come in off the streets, they would give them an ear, give them the love and support they needed. They'd never give them money when they asked, but they gave them what they really needed, which was love. And so I think the learning I got from them for how to take care of people has absolutely had the biggest impact on my life. If you had to tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Be willing to fail. Just you're going to mess up a whole ton in life. You're going to fail out of school after school after school, 14 schools from kindergarten to college. I talked my way into college without finishing high school, but the only diploma I have is my kindergarten uh, diploma. <laughs> and I mean, it's just the reality. School didn't work for me. I, I love learning. I, I dropped out of school. I did not drop out of learning. I just found a different way to educate myself. And then last question, what does success mean to you? If my kids want to hang out with me when, uh, when they're adults, when they're grown up, that's success.
I of course, they want to hang out with that. me right now. But and I and yeah. I stole I stole that from Paul Orfala, who uh, was the founder of Kinkos. And Listen, uh, it's good. It's a good. No. It's a good thing to try to aspire to. It's no, go it, for it, it. Steal away. It yeah. was so clear to me. You know, when I met him, he had just sold the Fed, FedEx for gazillions. Had a private yeah. jet. Had this and that. More money than you could ever imagine. And that was his answer. And I'm like, wow, money doesn't matter. It's making meaning. It's having people surround you that you love. And yeah, it's awesome. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. 
That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 